Welcome to Criterium Nation, where we explore life lived one corner at a time. I'm your host, Rob Kelly. Today's show is She'll Be Back, Like Before, and features our interview with Olivia Ray of ButcherBox Cycling. I first met Olivia back in March, right before the world turned upside down. And I'll be honest, after getting to know her, I am incredibly bummed that I didn't get to watch her race more than once this year. She is a phenomenal athlete and a great entertainer. And at the age of just 22, she already has 16 U.S. and New Zealand national titles. She and I caught up right before she was about to head home from the United States to her native New Zealand, and we had tons to discuss, from humidity to food to the Olympics. And speaking of things to discuss, this show is a proud part of the Wide Angle Podium network of shows the world's only collection of top-tier independent cycling content. Head on over to WideAnglePodium.com to see the full lineup of shows. And I'll be straight, we do have something for everyone, including a brand new show on the network called Nowhere Fast, with Zach Schuster, Kevin Bouchard-Hall, and Mike Swart, where the three of them have guests on to talk about all things related to virtual racing And while you're there on the website, please do click on the donate button and help support this creator-owned network by giving to the shows and people who you've come to trust for the best in cycling podcasting. And speaking of clicking, please remember to like, share, and subscribe to this show on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or anywhere else that you get your podcasts from. And if you really like what you hear, please leave us a review. It'll help others find out about the show and we'll absolutely love you for it. Before we get into the feature story here today with Olivia Ray, we do need to talk business. There's a little bit of news going on. So Frank from the internet is back here with us in studio to talk about kind of the news that's happened in the last couple of weeks. Frank, how's it going these days? You know, it's going pretty well. I uh, crashed my bike really hard yesterday. So I'm feeling that crashing your bike when you're 25 versus 37. I'm sore today. We'll say that. I feel like I'll be sore for the next year. It doesn't get any better when you get into your 40s either. I'll just tell you that much. I get hurt sometimes now just getting out of bed. And in fact, sometimes I wake up sore from being in bed and I was just sleeping. Yeah, I was I was lucky. Uh, bike's okay. Bumps and bruises. The worst injury I have is a, a bruise on the palm of my hand. Like It's just annoying. Um, so yeah, I got really lucky but still crash is a crash. So four quick items here for, for kind of a news update. The first big thing that happened about a week or two ago, Winston Salem announced that it's changing its date from the, t- uh, the traditional May date around Memorial day to September 24th through the 26th. And it's expanding to three days of racing. It's combining with the gears and guitar festival and also the flow Fondo. We all know that, Crit racing used to take place in the fall, much more so than it does now. It is phenomenal to see a marquee event like Winston-Salem moving back in the calendar towards that fall, because we know that September in North Carolina, typically a lot better weather than the end of May in North Carolina. Well, and this means that every true crit racer on the East Coast, at least, can spend their entire Memorial Day weekend in New Jersey now instead of making that trip 
from Winston-Salem to Jersey over the Memorial Day weekend. So Somerville is going to become even huger than it was before. And as it should, it deserves it. Um, and, and honestly, like I couldn't be more excited to see road racing and crit racing moving into the um, early fall, late summer. I, I really think that the uh, American quote unquote rule guideline, whatever you want to call it of like race season ends after, you know, at Labor Day for road and cross starts like is, you know, cross is a winter sport. And in on the East Coast of the U.S. anyway, like we should be road racing through October. Before we talk about things that happen outdoors, we definitely need to talk about a huge development that you are the center of or one of the centers of, which is the Echelon Racing League, a virtual race league that is going to start here mid-November, running through the middle of March on RGT. Tell us about the Echelon Race uh, the Race League. Yeah, so um, Eric Hill, uh, founder, co-founder of Project Echelon, you know, a, vet, not a veterans nonprofit. Him and I got together with our spring series for just, you know, putting on some showcase events for real life bike racing teams that couldn't race because of COVID on online platforms. And from there, we realized there was actually a a big want for using those same uh, virtual races to showcase the real life race teams and their riders and sponsors during the off season. You know, there's kind of that black hole for road racing, right? From October through February where road race teams really disappear. And we we're trying to solve that problem. Right. And so the virtual series on RGT is just another venue to do, to showcase those riders and sponsors and teams. It's going to be eight races based off real life events. Basically, we take GPX files and recreate those courses virtually. And those are, you know, I, I won't name them all, but Joe Martin Stage Race, Redlands, Tour of the Gila, Armed Forces Cycling Classic, Bucks County, Gateway Cup, Toad. I mean, there's there's some great events in there. Um, it'll be eight race weekends. I think it's 23 race days. Uh, starting November 13th and ending early March. Uh, we're going to have two, we'll call them soft opening events in October that'll be live streamed. Uh, we're working with Mark Zalewski from Intelligentsia Cup uh, as our production studio. And Brad Soner will be the voice behind the microphone and, and on the live stream, uh, along with some color commentators that you'll see you know, change race to race. The thought is, we want to do what real life bike racing has failed to do. And really what, what Scott Morris and USA crits is trying to do with real life bike racing, which is create a franchise style league with set teams and rosters that we can generate merchandise and advertising and a revenue share model with those teams so that all partners are benefiting from the races. And yeah, it's, it's going to be super exciting. We've got, I think, I don't want to tell who the teams are right now, but we've got 17 men's teams and 10 women's teams signed up right now. And the critical thing is, if you want to find out more, projectechelonracing.com is the source for that. Or echelonracingleague.com. Where do you go to register if you actually want to be a part of it? Echelonracingleague.com. There's a uh, more info button and there's a request for MOU, Memorandum of Understanding. We'll send that over to you if you want to be part of it, uh, submit it. 
and and we'll review it and, and get back with you on that. But we are we are excited to bring on not just real life teams, but some e racing teams as well. It's going to be, I think, a good mixture of the of the two, and it's it's really going to be something to watch. And since we're talking about virtual racing and a little bit about USA Crits, USA Crits actually put on a couple of live stream events over the last week, including its first D1 only riders event. And yeah, I got a chance to take a look at it, watch it. Uh, Frankie Andreo was doing the announcing in that. The graphics are outstanding, like the detail of the the kits and the bikes, the whole experience is the USA Crits trestle. Yeah, is this kind of where we're going to be for the next four or five months? Is this going to be our outlet? I think so. And, you know, like I will give Scott all the credit he deserves on this. He, you know, he's been working with RGT longer than we have. Um, he's really uh, been advising them, if you will, for how to how to create a crit course. RGT being the amazing venue and amazing platform they are, they've really been open to any kind of input they can get. And, and, and really they, they're really great about taking criticism and, and developing their product to make it better. Scott has done a, an amazing thing. I, you know, I watched the live streams Sunday and Monday as well, and they're phenomenal. He's, he's doing a great job for being the first one to really do this with a, a professional level event. The one critique, if I can give a critique and is that it seems a little sterile the environment does i i there's just so much that you get from having an audience and a crowd having people like Brad and Frankie on a microphone with the people there is there going to be an emphasis in the project echelon racing league about creating that sort of electricity that we would feel at a typical race yeah, so you know, with the Echelon Racing League, you know, our our goal, I will I will be upfront, right, and say that almost the lion's share of our overall budget goes towards production. Um, you know, we we're gonna have webcams on riders. We're gonna have the goal is to have the team Discord channel, so the team chats open, so that people can, you know, kind of like that NASCAR in car chat you hear between the driver and the the director, you'll be able to do the same thing with the, with some of the teams and hearing the team chat and the team dynamic. Uh, You know, I I think it's e-racing, right? So what people want to see is people want to see that real life emotion. They want to see the guy on the trainer dying as he goes up that 8% climb on his attack they want to see and 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 they want to hear the the team going crazy for that guy trying to solo the last 5k of you know the gila monster and and so we're we're trying to harness that right we want to make and and rgt helps with that they they the physics of the of the platform allow for much more simulation than video game and so you have you you have the possibility for those solo breakaways and and for those attacks to occur and be successful. And so I think at at the end of the day the production and the platform really help make the racing compelling and exciting to watch. With USA Crits, obviously it's a big time of year. A lot of the preparations and plans for the next year's season are already undergoing. We'll see a calendar from them in December, but 
most importantly, it's that time of year that if you want to be a rider or if your team wants to be a part of it, you got to express your interest. USACrits.com. There's a, a rider application form and there's also a team application form. This year, there were only nine women's teams signed up. The men's field's a little bit more stacked with 12 D1 teams, but it's so critical to get teams buying in to this series, isn't it? Yeah, no, and I will I will say this. I have been, I helped run slash race, and I've raced on USA Crits teams for the last three years. Scott and Ashley Chavieso and Gene Dixon, they're they're really trying to uh, shoot for the stars with this. They they have an idea of how real life bike racing should benefit all parties involved, and and it's really up to the teams to invest themselves into this to make not only make it successful but themselves successful, right? the live streams and the media package you get for being a USA crits team makes the registration itself worth it. You know, payouts aside and, and all that aside, you get host housing, you get travel stipends and you get a phenomenal media package for your team to to showcase. And, and it's, it's worth every penny. And, you know, when talking to those folks, they always have an eye towards the future, so when you look at a team, say your team has one or two Cat 1s, six Cat 2s, don't be afraid to put in an application because even if, you know, even if you may not actually be ready to be a part of the show, Scott and, and company are going to make sure that you're in the pipeline. They're going to give you the advice that you need in order to get to that next level. That's where we get teams like Good Guys Racing or Nashville Local Cyclists or Audi Primal out of Denver. And I'll say, you know what? The best way to find out if you're ready or get ready for for the, the main event is line up for the main event. You know what? There's nothing saying that you're you're going to do great things the first time you're there. But you're going to learn a lot being there. Well, Frank, do you have a few minutes to stick around for after this first section with Olivia? Absolutely. Great. There's something that she's going to say towards the end of it that I think you and I need to talk about a little bit more. So without further ado, let's get to our interview with Olivia Ray. I am Olivia Ray. I'm from Auckland, New Zealand, far away, and I race for ButcherBuck Cycling. We're recording here in the United States. It's September 4th. You have a 26-hour trip ahead of you, flying home to Auckland. Why now? Why have you decided now is the time that you should go home. Shoot, I know. 26 hours and then you include all the layovers. Pretty ridiculous. It wasn't too bad in the beginning. As when I first booked it, it was going to be about 15 hours. That's what it usually is. But why now? The original plan was to go home November with Patrick and just be home, get to race, road nationals, track nationals, you know, just enjoy myself, study online. That's fine. But then there was the big scare with the Trump administration saying, well, if your university's all online, then 
you've probably got to get out if you're a student, international student. So that really, not only was that stressful for myself, but obviously everyone I I go to school with who are internationals in the schools. And, you know, it wasn't easy for anyone. It's pretty freaky saying you might get deported. I think after the that whole situation was kind of brushed under the rug for at least a few months, I thought if I'm going home anyway, I would want to go home, be in summer again, have double summer, be able to study online, be able to train still, see all my friends, eat all the good food. And then I can also race crit nets, which is something that I wanted to do last year, but wasn't able to just timing. But I'm super excited for that because the last time I did it was about three years ago. And from there to now, it's myself, my training, how I look at things, so different. And so I'm really excited to see how, what I've learned and how I can, how I can take what I've learned and really just, just give it everything. Cause that's, that's what I want to do. I want to, I want to win that really badly only because how cool would it be to come back to the US with a black and white kit, you know, national crit champion. That would be surreal. <laughs> the amazing thing here is that nobody can see this video. You know, we're doing like everybody else in the world of, of radio and podcasting. We do this via Zoom. And just watching the way that you react while you're telling that, you are a bundle of energy. You you just want to go, go, go. Has that always been the case? I mean, have were you like a 12-year-old girl running around Auckland with too much energy? all the time or you know is that what athletics has brought out of you goodness no I'm I've always been quite crazy um when I I remember when I finished primary school which is basically from ages of five to ten um I went to my best friend's school because we had my school had a day off and she was saying hey you guys this is you remember Olivia the weird one and so I was always trying to trying to get people to run races and play and then just yell and scream. And I don't know. I think I must just be a child and just can't grow up. <laughs> I'm a very independent, dependent person. So I, I'll act, I act all mature and stuff when I can, but on the inside, no, it's just <laughs> a, a, a big old child with, with candy, you know, kind of type thing. Um, and then with cycling, obviously, that's why I have the two sides to racing. It is very serious to me because it's my job. But at the same time, if you're there and you're not even smiling and enjoying yourself, well, like, what's the point? I mean, if you can't enjoy it at the same time as you're trying to, like, break everyone's legs off, that's why I love track racing because it's so short. You can just play around, do what you want and it definitely helps with sport only because I kind of just, I get buzzy and excited and just nothing's really, nothing bothers me. It's just the race. Have fun. We probably haven't mentioned yet is that you're 22 years old and that you are a student at SCAD, which is the Savannah College of Art and Design. And for those who don't know it, it's probably one of the premier art-focused universities in the United States. There's maybe one or two that are even in the same conversation. 
And you're majoring in marketing and branding with a minor in dance, right? Yes. Yeah. So dance was kind of just, I've done it my whole life. So I thought, why not get a little minor in there? And advertising and branding, marketing, I think just because of who I am and what I'm doing and what I want to do with my life, it just seemed like the right path because I'm able to market myself. And if I ever want to become a coach or sell cycling kit or design shoes or whatever it may be. It's just a good kind of gateway. As a modern athlete, you know that just being good at your sport isn't enough anymore. You have to be savvy in public relations. You've got to be smart about social media. Is this all part of the same goal of making yourself the master of all things bike-related? I would love to think that one day I would be called the female version of Peter Sagan. He's out there. He's crazy. He's such a great brand representative. And he obviously races like amazing at everything he does. So um, I would hope that I'm not only good at, hopefully good at what I do, (laughs) but make sure that the people who I represent are well represented um, positively. Obviously, if I wasn't respectful, it would be a bad look. But I definitely think that you reap what you sow. So if you come across as angry and you don't want to be there, yes, you might win things. But if you don't have a good attitude, I think it represents you, your team, the sponsors, even like the people around you negatively, just because no one wants that. People want to be surrounded by supportive, happy people, at least most of the time. So that would be the hopes is to, I want every aspect of my life to be going towards not only excelling in everything I put myself to, whether that's sprinting, climbing, time trialing, whatever it may be, whatever event it is, if it's an Olympics, fingers crossed one day, or, you know, just a local race. It should be 100% in everything you do and how you present yourself before, during, after. Though I do think with that definitely comes experience. The uh, podcast you did with Christina Goki-Smith was very eye-opening in terms of, yeah, you can be really good at your bike, at racing your bike, but if you don't have that experience, if you don't know how to act or you know, present yourself, I think it really impacts everything else. Because like for myself, when I first started doing crits, you know, I was yelling, I kind of still do this. I was yelling at everyone, like get out of my way and possibly cursing sometimes, you know, but that's in the moment. And I had people saying to me that I mean, I was saying, what? Like I was very confused. And then I thought, oh, that's because I race like, like a man, basically. I race super aggressive and in your face and I've learned and still trying to learn, and when I say try, very much emphasis on trying to just relax and race my race, not worry about anyone else. That all comes with the whole image thing, you know, takes practice and experience. So fingers crossed I'm getting better, but, you know, (laughs) old habits die hard. We need to talk about something very serious here for a second because obviously the coronavirus and COVID are very real parts of our world. Now, we know that where you're going, Auckland, 
and the entire country of New Zealand has been exceptionally effective, much more so than here in the United States at combating COVID. Because there was a period of time for you guys, for New Zealand back at home, where you had no COVID cases in the country. Whereas here, we have thousands of new cases, tens of thousands of new cases every day. Are you at all worried about this upcoming travel and your exposure here in the United States to COVID? I am nervous. I was definitely a bit freaked out about traveling because you're on a plane for X amount of hours with other people and you never know. So that's, that is a worry. However, the good thing about that is um, airports are probably the most sanitary place right now, which helps a little bit (laughs) just because you know that you're not getting coughed on or the ground or the air is that contaminated. But at the same time, you know, it is a risk, obviously. I mean, GCN said it best. If if you go outside, you're at risk. So, and this is a, this is a very touchy subject, and people have their opinions, and you know that's fine. Um, I don't want to put any impression on someone else that what they do, what how they think is wrong, or what they're doing is wrong, because that just it doesn't help. But it's like with anything. If if you're sick, you know, if you have a cold, you don't really go out. You don't cough on people. If, if you're out, and, if you sneeze, you you know, you cover it. So I think a lot of it's common sense, which, you know, (laughs) seems like it's common sense, but really probably isn't to a lot of people. I think what New Zealand did with combating it, the entire world envied how they did it. Jacinda Ardern, the prime minister, I mean, she's incredible. As soon as the latest new cases were a new strain, they don't know how it came out. It was 102 days without any virus. And then all of a sudden, bam, they just... 20 cases and she jumped on it so quickly she's gone to all the people who have it and contact tracing back to every person every place every everything that they've done and and all the people that they've been in contact with to really pinpoint how it started how these new cases started and to really hit it on the nose and within about two and a half weeks of the new lockdown, there was, yes, there are still new cases, but it's, there's a handle on it, which I really do respect. And then on the other hand, you have the US and I get kind of anxious. I'll be in, I'll be in Chipotle ordering. And obviously there's clear signs on the ground, six feet back, wear a mask. Easy, you know, straightforward. However, as soon as you walk in, and then you see three people, no mask, all standing super close. You think, can you not read? I mean, <laughs> it is a s- stressful situation for everyone. The entire world gone on hold. Everyone wants things to go back to normal. But I'm going to going home to a good place. And, you know, if I get sick, that that's my own fault. And I'll take the responsibility of that. And hopefully that nothing negative comes of that. I mean, a lot of people would stop the idea of traveling with 26 hours on a plane. But not only do you have 26 hours on a plane, you have 14 days of quarantining in a government facility when you get back to Auckland. What is that experience going to be like? Goodness me, the amount of things going through my head. You know, am I going to be able to ride? Am I going to be able to get yummy food from my parents? 
we've had the last six months doing nothing, doing nothing besides training and watching TV. So it's not going to be too different. But I've definitely made a plan to set good wake up times and sleeping times, setting time for yoga and basically active rest. If I can get a trainer and ride my bike, that'll be perfect. But if not, I'm not too worried. You know, just I think it'll be a good time to really focus on the things that I've been neglecting. Like I say every day, oh, I'm going to work out and do this and, you know, it's eight o'clock at night and you think, oh, shoot, I didn't do any of the things that I wanted to do. So I think it'll be a good reset for me. However, I do <laughs> think I'm going to be very bored and going to eat a lot of food. It's not every day. It's like 20, 14 days out of 365. So, Just talk about the simple way that New Zealand is doing this, doing the quarantining, because it's something that I don't think an American would do. I don't think we could get this past in the United States, the idea that you shut yourself inside, not your own house. That's why New Zealand and Australia implemented the hotel quarantining as opposed to going home and doing it there because, I mean, the reason why they went to hotels is because people weren't isolating at home. And even uh, Natalie on the team, she had to self-isolate in her house. And it was really inspiring, honestly. I mean, her being in her house, having to cook and not leave, that's, that's admirable, seriously. And with with the hotel quarantine, I think they they set out about 50-something million dollars aside to make this happen. They've set a couple of rules, actually. If you're there for less than 90 days, you have to pay, I think, about $4,000. And then if you're not a citizen, I think, well, if you're not a citizen, unless you have special permission, you can't enter anyway. So, but... That, that 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 was implemented uh, recently too. The paying for it because I mean there is thirty thousand people coming in every week. How are you supposed to pay for that? But it's a I think I think they're five star hotels, so that'll be pretty nice. That <laughs> you don't have that every day either, so that'll be kind of fun. I want to welcome Frank back into the studio here. So, Frank, what we just heard from Olivia there a few seconds ago kind of has got me thinking. And it's about this concept of the Peloton, the crit Peloton, it is, being a living sort of organism, a living entity. And the most important part of it is, as a living entity, it has a super long memory. And, you know, when you get down to the pointy end of the race at the very end, yeah, you really have to take what you want. But for so much of the race, for so much of that 75 minutes or 90 minutes beforehand, it's really kind of cooperative. Riders are moving in position and trying to get in front of each other, but there's there's a lot of flexibility that's given by other riders so that, you know, people don't crash. Things like that don't happen. But what happens when you become that rider? 
when you become the person who has that reputation for being naughty, where those holes don't start to open up or those doors get closed on you really quickly and hard. I like to go back to my time at Levine Lager for this one, right? For for Speed Week, we had Ryan Aitchison and Meyerson guest riding with us. And Meyerson was trying to talk to us about how to navigate a field, how to pedal when you need to pedal and coast when you should coast. And one of the things he brought up mid-conversation was, but also holes tend to open up for me because of who I am. You know, I think, you know, the, the Brad Huffs and the Meyersons and the Treviesos, you know, the top, the top 20 guys in US, in, in a USA crit, they have respect that comes with their name. Right. And when Corey Williams is riding beside me and we're fighting for a hole, yeah, no, he's getting that hole. I'm not, I'm not fighting him for it. I don't want to be the guy to crash him out because I'm over my head. Conversely, you know, if you're known for being sketchy or for touching your brakes in a turn or for just not being fluid in a race, I'm going to take an extra pedal stroke to make sure I'm in front of you because I don't want to have to get out of the saddle out of a turn to make up your inadequacy, you know, and it makes your racing harder at the end of the day. If, if you, you know, I think crit racing at that level has a steep learning curve. And if you are not willing to learn at that grade, it's going to negatively affect you very quickly. I don't know about you. Do you talk a lot in races, like in crits? In a road race, there's a lot of time just spending. But when you're in a crit, you're going corner to corner. You know, I don't spend a lot of time saying much to anybody else. I think I found it hilarious. I, I watched the YouTube video on the Wide Angle Podium channel that Bodie and crew from Yeah, You Ride did with Tom Gibbons. And I think there was only one or two seconds where Tom actually says anything on the GoPro. And it's when he knows he did something wrong. And you could hear maybe it was Spencer Movenzada or Adam Sheps or somebody go, Tommy. That sounds like a Spencer, Spencer quote. Uh, love that guy. I think at those races, the USA crits races, the big pro one, two crits, I don't talk a lot because I, I think it's, there's an inherent trust there, right? Like I know everyone in that race for the most part knows how to drive a bicycle, you know, at speed. I don't have to say on your left or tap a hip or what are you doing or any of that? Because those guys, let's be honest, 99% of them probably have more experience than I do. I do, I will, I will admit, you know, in local racing, I'm a little bit more high strung because, uh, it's a one, two, three race generally. And I don't necessarily know how much experience that person has that is coming over the top of me through a turn and, and touching their brakes. Um, and so I'm a little, probably more vocal in, in a local race than I am in a, in a pro race. I do. I, I, have found that since I got some mentorship from Meyerson, I'm a bit more condescending now in a bike race with, uh, you know, as that guy fights me for the turn so he can lock up the brakes and we both have to get out of the saddle to get back in line. You know, I might look over and give him a, was that really worth it? Shrug and, and nod, but no, in the big races, I'm, I'm too intimidated. Let's be honest. Like Zach Allison and Gibbons and all their teammates and everyone who is, you know, racing at that same level, 
most of them are better than me and have more experience and, and it's a little intimidating and I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to say stuff to them in mid race more, more cause I don't want to get corrected. So we're going to jump back in here with our interview with Olivia Ray. But uh, before we do, we got to hear a quick word from Whitney Allison, one of Olivia's teammates about her coach at Source Endurance. Hi, I'm Whitney Allison, and I've been a Source Endurance athlete since late 2012. I broke my shoulder at the beginning of the 2012 season and was looking for a change coming out of injury. I started that fall with Adam Mills. By spring of 2013, I was given my first pro contract with Colavita Pro Cycling, all while working a full-time office job. My UCI road career went on to include Colavita, Bianchi, and Hoggins, Berman, Superman, and podiums at events like Tour of California and Colorado Classic. I was drawn to Source Endurance because all the coaches have relevant secondary or master's degrees in exercise science or similar, plus real-life practical experiences as bike racers. This lethal combo meant that I could get where I needed to be with the time I had. Adam helped me navigate training with full-time employment, flexible employment, broken bones, a car crash, UCI contracts, last-minute schedule changes, discipline transitions, and everything in between. Having that guide enables me to focus on putting in the work, knowing I'll be as fit as possible for my key events. Ready to join me as a Source Endurance athlete? Head to sourced.net, select your coaching plan, and use coupon code Criterion Nation, all lowercase, all one word, for $50 off your startup fee. And now back to our interview with Olivia Ray. Coming from Auckland to the United States a couple of years ago, going to school in Savannah, Georgia. How was that culture slash humidity shock to you? Terrible. <laughs> um, as soon as I got out of the airport and the, the, the automatic doors opened, it was literally as if I walked into a sauna. Um, coming from New Zealand, the weather is pretty um, pretty easy going throughout the entire year. It's never that that cold. It's never that hot. It was kind of nice. But goodness me, I think for the first three months I was there, I was I hated it, if I'm going to be honest. Um, I didn't speak the same way, you know. Instead of saying cool, I had to say cool and wow and, you know, just emphasize the American accent a little bit just to to fit in, really. It was really difficult because I came alone. I didn't come with my parents. Um, they didn't really say goodbye. <laughs> they didn't come with me and say, cool, you settled in, awesome, see ya. It was scary, I think, just because I didn't know anyone. And it was more so food and navigating around a new city. I think that was definitely a huge struggle because the food <laughs> okay the food so there's good places to eat in the u.s but when you have university food it's like french toast pancakes and just really not very nutritionally dense food so it's very uh when you come from new zealand that's everything's pretty fresh and natural and healthy-ish health quote-unquote healthy but I think it'd be the same for anyone if you came to a foreign country and you had to adapt. But after that three months, I went home again for Christmas and then I came back and I was perfectly fine. Well, <laughs> I was perfectly fine because I met Patrick and he kind of made things easier. I could do everything with him, you know, find places to eat, 
etc. But speaking of Patrick, the last time that you and I spoke about him, we were talking about there being a supporter for you, somebody who's there to take the burden when you can't handle the burden. And I swear the last time we talked about him, you started to tear up a little bit. You're you're going to be leaving Patrick in back here in the United States because he isn't exactly welcome in New Zealand. Are you ready to be without him for a little while? Goodness, yes. Five and a half months without him is going to be hard. But to that, first of all, I wouldn't have anything I have now if it wasn't for him. I wouldn't be on ButcherBox because he was the one who asked Steve when the guys were in Savannah last year training, like, oh, are you going to have a women's team? <laughs> Lo and behold, here we are. It's sad. I mean, gosh, I rely on him so much, but I think that's that's a nice thing. And um, I've definitely grown not only as a cyclist, but just maturity, independence, all of that. But yeah, five five and a half months without him is going to be tricky. Um, I definitely think <laughs> there'll be a lot of tears, especially in the first couple of weeks. But we've done it before. We had about four months last time so it's one of those things if you can support each other through being next to each other and then support each other being 12,000 kilometers away I think anything's possible with us why don't we get back to bike racing because I know that's what you love it's what I love too this is an interesting way of putting it but it's literally the only way that I can think of to describe you and bike racing I don't know if you remember the Greek story of how Athena was born. She emerged fully formed in her armor from the head of Zeus. You have come to the United States and in three years you have just destroyed everybody that you've come across in bike racing. You came into the sport as one of the best. And I don't have a clue how that's even done. How does somebody come from nowhere to quite literally having won 25 different events since 2018? And we didn't even race bikes in 2019 and 2020. Goodness me, you flatter me. Um, <laughs> I think, gosh, it's so, sort of those things, because I, I don't look at myself as, being the best, and I never hope to, because there's always going to be someone better. My brother cycles, and he's, believe it or not, shorter than I am. He's about 29 years old, and he came to the U.S. a few years ago, and he smashed it too. You know, he was, he won most combative and most aggressive. And uh, Rashan Bahadi was like, "Oh, this dude who came to Gateway one year totally thrashed us," and I was like, "I want to be like that." I definitely didn't expect my life to go this way. Basically, the first time I was introduced to the U.S. as being an option, I was super excited. I had no idea what was in store. I was coming in just for university to ride my bike, had a scholarship. So I was like, okay, go with the flow. It's turned into something so insane. I really do wonder sometimes how I do it. I train my butt off. As, as as everyone does, obviously, and I don't think anyone undertrains that doesn't do well in races. I think everyone works exceptionally hard, and for me, I think what what's it from? Um, 
If you're not first, you're last. So, you're, and you're, they're you're literally quoting Talladega Nights. Talladega Nights. That's right. If you're not first, you're last. And honestly, it kind of seems that way. I either I do well, or I get in a mechanical, or I crash. <laughs> you know, three options. So, got to work on that. I think some some less crashing would be helpful. But for me, when I first got here, the first race I did was collegiate track nationals in Indiana and at the time Erica Carney was Erica La Erica Carney was racing for Piedmont and everyone talked about her she was this big deal she still is this chick who's unbeatable and and I was super confused when we raced and I I bet her and I really didn't know what to expect it was kind of, it was surreal and I never expect to win, but I don't ever want to lose. Never want to lose. No one wants to lose. You know, you don't go to a bike race and expect to lose. But it was it's it's really just been crazy and I'm I'm so thankful for everyone that took a chance on me. You know, Patrick took a chance on me, Steve's Cullen, Steve Cullen took a chance on me. A few men in Savannah who, you know, supported me, you know, took me to Detroit to race and paid for some bike racing and all of that you know I, I can't thank them enough and I just hope that one day I'm able to represent them through my career you know being being able to show them like your interest paid off <laughs> you know I mean that's that's all I'd ever hope and it's not the fact that I win races just because you know I really sometimes I really don't expect it and sometimes it seems so simple to win a, to win the race. And I don't want to sound cocky or anything, but like when I sprint, I know that I can accelerate and I have a kick and I know I can keep doing that. You know, I've got so many um, fast twitch kicks. It just, it just comes naturally. And again, not to sound cocky, but I use that to my advantage. Um, gateway, cup last year the first race was pouring rain there were tornado warnings and in that last that last corner I was coming out I think third fourth wheel and just just took it and that that was incredible and super shocking and then when we spoke in March we talked about your win that first night at Lafayette Park at the Gateway Cup but I won't ever forget the way that you said this to me you came out of the last corner and it's probably a 300 meter shot from the last corner to the finish. It is pouring down rain. The photos are incredible. And you were in the top five. And what you said was, I know nobody can beat me. Nobody can beat my sprint. For most of us, we have somewhere between a fight and a flight reaction. And we have to choose between the two. You don't seem to have to choose. You only have that fight reaction. Where does that come from? Seriously, I'm turning red. Gosh, I can't believe I was quite cocky when I said that. You know, I think it's it's being sure. I mean, I'm I, I'm sure about myself. I can. I know powers are very personal and very specific to each individual, but you know, I'm not afraid. People can know my numbers. Um. My five-second sprint is about 1,260 watts. On, like, training peaks, it says it's uh, almost world record numbers. And 
it's it's numbers like that, and I'm like, oh, that's cool. I can like beat the guys. You can. You can absolutely destroy a lot of the best men. Honestly, Justin Williams, Corey Williams, let's drag race. <laughs> no, but seriously, it's so surreal. I don't know how I do it. When I race, I, I just kind of do it. It doesn't, you know, you have a little, uh, little voice in your head that kind of says go or don't go or go take the inside or outside, um, whatever it may be. That doesn't happen anymore. It just kind of... I see the line, and if I don't get there first, I will beat myself up so bad about it because it seems so straightforward. 300 meters, get there. If I feel I'm in a position to be able to to get there, I will give it everything. I will be eating my stem, you know, bars going side to side, throwing it like Cavendish, trying to get there. And my answer to the question, I don't, I don't think about it, yeah. Last year, you raced something like 27 times. You finished out of the top five four times. <laughs> Man, I need to race more. <laughs> you you won the Mass Ave crit. You won the Heroes in Pendleton Falls Park crit. You won... Electric City, Grant Park, the first night of Gateway, the third night of Gateway, the overall at Gateway. You started this year with one, two, three, four, five wins, but you've done all of those things basically by yourself. 2020 was the first year that you were scheduled to be a part of a team in ButcherBox. Let's talk about Steve Cullen, Stephen Ramirez, Dino Piscopanis. Beth Everhart, Tanya Bolanova, the entire cast that is the Bush About Cycling team. Who are they? They are the biggest and best, most supportive, most loving people I think I've ever encountered in one place at one time. Team camp, you know, I would do team camp every weekend, every day. You know, it, it was so much fun to be able to have that support and that intense passion and help basically just help you know I, I don't really suppose I've had that too much throughout my cycling career but you couldn't ask for better people in general I mean whether they were just acquaintances they're super amazing people ButcherBox is a huge family when I say huge I mean like 20 something people uh the the guys team are cool they're funny they're exciting they're intense the management team they're oh, I really don't know more adjectives to describe them. And then the women's team, goodness, they're they're loving. They're so they're basically like my sisters and you know, coming from only really ever riding individually, um it was hard. That uh race we did in Marietta, I had all these conversations with Steve, like I don't know, like <laughs> what what happens if this, you know, if this happens, what do I do? What do I do if Harriet does that? Do you know, blah, blah, blah. But Steve said something really encouraging. It's basically, it's just you, but there's six of you now. And I was thinking, oh, gosh, well, that's nice. <laughs> Less work. But at the same time, I want to be able to do everything, you know, be able to attack, do a time, uh, you know, do a solo break, um, do a chase, do a sprint. I want to be able to do it all. I don't want to be 
defined by a sprinter. Racing that race was so much fun. I had Harriet there and she she smashed it when we, we were off the front and and Whitney, I I don't know how she does it, but she has this power and it's just it just keeps building and building and building and I was thinking, gosh, I'm gonna fall off her wheel. This is insane. It's weird to me. It is weird racing with a team. Well the one race that we did. And I'm I'm a bit sad that I haven't been able to race with them more just because I still don't know what it's like to race with a team. So there is a lot there to unpack. You know, first, obviously talking about Harriet Owen and Whitney Allison, two of your teammates. Harriet's probably one of the few women out there who can beat you. And she's your teammate. Were you excited? I was kind of a little jealous, to be honest, when um, we found out who was, when I found out who was on the, the team this year. I was thinking, what? You had two sprinters on the same team? Are you kidding? But then I was thinking, but wait, we're going to win literally everything. It's going to be one, two, every race. We're going to be un- unbeatable, really. And and I hope she feels the same way. But <laughs> And I think that's what Steve planned. You know, he, he, he chose women that continuously show how strong and dominant they are. You know, Harriet, Natalie Redmond, Kristen, Julie and Whitney, they're all amazing riders, you know, three of them being from Huggins Berman, Nat racing for Fearless Femme last year. It's it's quite nice being able to learn from all of them. That's probably the biggest thing that I, you know, I, I'm the luckiest. I'm, I'm the youngest and I get five other women who are so experienced and so good at and multifaceted and all these things. And I, I'm, I lucked out because I, I get all of them. Go back to Murrieta. Okay, Murrieta, that was a, we had high hopes and it was going so well. And then it wasn't for you. No. For the team, it turned out, it turned out just fine. Harriet ended up winning. For you, there was a mechanical. It's your worst result of a long time. You've come home now for November for the Vantage New Zealand Criterium Championship in Christchurch. Are you going to take this frustration out on all of those women? All I'm going to say is you better watch out. <laughs> no, it was, you know, I couldn't believe it. It was one of those things. I was like, are you kidding me? That's one of those things that you really, it's out of your control. That's what makes me so mad about it. If it was me, you know, unclipping or something, yeah, then that's whatever. But having mechanicals just kills me. I am so amped and so excited to just like however I however it ends up if I go like 500 meters to go I'll do it like a track race then I'll I'll do that and sprint if it's a drag race and it's a three up sprint I'll sprint and I'll win if it's a breakaway I'll do it too you know I'm I'm fully committed to giving this race no matter how it ends just I'll be there at the front hands up posting up smiling you know Representing Butcher Box, of course. Now, that crit's only 35 minutes long. Even the men's race is only 45 minutes long. You know, you're used to hour-long events. Is that going to be a challenge? Gosh, that's news to me. I totally didn't know that. <laughs> um, you know, I'm kind of excited about that because I would say my worst attribute is long distance. So, shorter duration, perfect. Makes it even better. You know, there's... There's so little 
room for things to go wrong in 35 minutes. I'm very excited for that. Even if there's a break, you know, that's not a lot of time to be on the front if you even go from the line, you know. So that, that'll be fun. That's going to be very exciting and very fast. The 2020 Olympics. Obviously, it's going to be run now in 2021. Is the Olympics something that you are interested in? I'll tell you a story. Before I came back to the US in 2018, I basically had the opportunity to go to Cambridge and train with the te- the national team and get ready to prepare for the 2020 Olympics if, you know, if I got the spot. Got that email 2 weeks before I was due to leave. Book flights booked. I'm kind of dumbfounded like what do I do? But in the grand scheme of things, where I was, that was like the first track nationals prior to that email that I did well. I won two national titles in the crit and on the crit, sorry, in the scratch race and the Kieran. Kind of weird combo. I, I wanted to race so bad, but at the same time, I found more opportunity in the US. Gosh, it would be amazing to go, but I don't think I would have been ready. The Olympics are, is a goal. 100%. It's not the be-all, end-all, though. Yes, it's the pinnacle of sporting ability, but it's it's one day, one race out of four years. You know, anything can happen, which is kind of why it can't be the be-all, end-all. So then with that, you know, I'd love to do the go to the Olympics and go to world championships, world cups, national races, you know, as much as I can because I want to be so indulged with opportunity and that's something I feel like yes there's a lot of opportunity for people but I feel like myself I always miss out you know like I'm I'm a year too old you know to still be an under 23 athlete and then I could have gone on this team that went to Europe you know stuff like that you know it's little things but I think that just pushes me more (laughs) to, to the next thing to just say okay whatever that's fine just push to the next thing one of the things I do want to bring up with you is is the Olympic road race. So the way that it works is that the IOC, the International Olympic Committee, decides how many slots you get for a sport. And the IOC decided that 197 athletes would be invited to the Olympic road race. The UCI, the International Cycling Union, and I cannot speak French, so I'm not even going to try to pronounce it in in French for how you get UCI, allotted 130 of those slots to the men and only 67 to the women. Do you think that that's fair? Gosh, um, eh, I suppose it really depends on the the circumstances. Obviously, this year there hasn't been anywhere enough racing to give people enough points if they just based it off this year. So I think the, that being said, all the men that are, have been selected, I think they have they've been racing for a lot longer. You know, they may have been on a, a team longer, so they have that many more points over the last four years. Versus some women, you know, they may have only been on a UCI team for, you know, a year. So they've only had X amount of time to get enough points. But, I mean, it is unfair in terms of whether there was equal opportunity. I do feel like if they could make it equal, that would be perfect because 
I mean, you look at it like, oh, the men have more spots. Well, oh, well, that's a bit sexist. But then again, it really depends on how it's worked out. And I know New Zealand, the women don't have a spot to race. And to that, I mean, we have a fair amount of women who could race that and do really well. I mean, gosh, give me a spot and I'll do it. (laughs) There's only been one woman to represent New Zealand in the last decade and the road race, and that's Linda Willemson. Is Olivia Ray's name going to be written right next to hers? Goodness me, that's a bit depressing, isn't it? Um, I, w- I would love to. I mean... It would mean you'd have to race for 137 kilometers. Well, at least it's not 200. <laughs> no, like, I'm fine with anything under 150. <laughs> no, I, I would love to be able to have that opportunity, and if I proved myself enough to be able to, to race that and actually perform and, you know, get top five or, you know, at least try my hand at it. I think that'd be, that'd be really amazing. That's like a a life goal. But at the end of the day, I wouldn't want to do it without being prepared. I think. What does success in this sport look like to you? Everyone knows who you are. You don't have to win everything to be successful you know, there are some races where people don't remember who won, but they remember a specific moment in the race. Like, oh, they attacked and it was insane and that's all they remember. So I think leaving my mark in a race, in any given race, but in the, in the overall of in the overall sense of success, I would love to be able to be known outside of the cycling world that can be very limiting just cycling but when you when you get to that point of ex- elite elite professionals everyone knows who peter sagan is basically to a degree you know everyone knows who lance armstrong is regardless of history but that would be a like a household name i think would be pretty cool so olivia ray the serena williams of cycling yeah that sounds pretty cool <laughs> yeah that would be fun Well, Olivia, thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a lot of fun. Thanks for joining us this week on Criterium Nation, a proud member of the Wide Angle Podium network of shows. This episode was written, produced, and edited by me, Rob Kelly, and was co-hosted by Frank Cundiff. A special thank you goes out this week to Simon Marks of Feature Story News for helping make sure that parts of this interview were aired on Radio New Zealand so the folks back home in Auckland can hear all about what Olivia's been up to for the last three years here in the United States. Please do like, share, and subscribe to this show anywhere that you get your podcasts, and follow us on Instagram or Twitter at Criterium Nation. And your home for the best in Criterium news is CriteriumNation.com. And please join us next time for more stories from our Criterium Nation. As you know, materials in cyclocross are very important. What do you think, Mr. Sven Nies? It's uh, very important to have the good material when it's frozen, when it's dry, when it's summer, when it's, uh, when it's wet. 
Uh, the tires are very important. It's all about technique. It's all about uh, the good material. So we brought the Bike Shop show back with a cyclocross focus. Same great format, new name, Bike Shop CX. Give it a listen. I think you'll dig it. Each week, Mr. David Palin and I talk about things that go on at our bike shop. We talk about things that go on in the pro cyclocross pit at all the big races around the country. Sometimes we have industry-leading guests on the show. Sometimes it's just the two of us yapping. If you're at all interested in cyclocross, I think you'll like it. The bike shop is open.